Think about a podcast ad about a mattress. No one needs another podcast ad about a mattress, but here's the thing. Your choice of mattress is one of the most important decisions you can make in your life. It's the same thing with infrastructure monitoring. You don't think about it often, but it's one of your most important decisions as an IT professional. So get your monitoring hosted in the cloud with Pessler PRTG Hosted Monitor. Now with 50% off monthly subscriptions for new customers for the first three months. Go to PRTG.com and use the promo code PACKETPUSHERS. That's PRTG.com with the promo code PACKETPUSHERS, all one word. Electronic waste, or e-waste, is a growing problem. By some estimates, 50 to 70 million tons of e-waste is generated every year, and that number is growing. While much of the tonnage is consumer electronics, IT and telecom gear also contribute. When sent to landfills to be buried or burned, e-waste can leach toxic chemicals into the soil and air. And if you decide to dispose of old gear by reselling it or giving it away, that can also create problems. For instance, I just read a release from the security company Esset about where they purchased 18 enterprise-grade routers from the internet and more than half still had configuration data that hadn't been wiped and some had information that could still be used to track the routers back to their prior owners. So on today's Heavy Networking, we're going to look at options for responsible disposal of IT gear, including things like repurposing it on site, reselling or donating it, and working with e-cycling companies. My guests are Lindsay Hill, a network engineer at Valve, and Steve Paluca, an IP architect at DQE Communications. Uh, folks, welcome to the podcast. Do your organizations sort of have a preferred way to deal with old equipment, or is this more like a case-by-case basis? We do whatever we need to do. We have our preferred ways of doing things, but hey, sometimes you're dealing disposing of something completely random, and you might do something on a bit more of a case-by-case basis, particularly if it's in a strange part of the world or it's a bit hard to use your normal disposal methods. Well, at, at, at DQE, there's a regular cycle that we go through with uh, with that whole process for both the the reuse and the resale, and, and it's uh, you know roughly quarterly in basis to tie things up. And my previous employer, it was probably twice a year to once a year. Um, there was a collection area that did, and there was a process involved in that too. But both of those organizations you know one is you know a subsidiary dq is a subsidiary of a power company so there's a lot of regulation involved there and 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 a high notice of the things you mentioned with um you know the environmental impacts and the the other was a health large healthcare organization uh upmc so again a highly regulated industry so so there were you know definitely a process involved in making sure things were done right it's a really good point about process for, for things being done right. Like, you know, sometimes it's, it doesn't really matter. It's it's an old router. It's not critical. It doesn't matter. But for certain parts, certain types of things where certain critical information or confidential information exists, that there are certain processes around that, and you do have to take care about what you're doing. Okay, so let's kind of walk through some of the options. First, you know, have you been at organizations or are at organizations where, you know, you would repurpose things, like maybe we can put this in a lab or, you know, keep it around for spares? We absolutely do that. Where The problem is that it's all about the quantities of things. So if I'm decommissioning 50 UCS chassis, probably don't really need that many in my lab, right? <laughs> A huge lab. <laughs> it's you know, uh, well, my parts of my everyone's got a lab, it's just whether it's in production or not. Uh, we absolutely will make sure we keep some spares of things where we still have some of them running in production, but it's just a numbers game. You can only put so much of that back into the lab. In the last two organizations that you know I'm talking about here, because they've you know because of the time frames involved. 
they both had a very formal lab process uh, because the the network was so critical to the business. So, uh, you know, the the lab was a separate process. It was it had its own gear bought for purpose to make sure things were properly lab tested for the production service provider network or for the network that's linking all the hospitals and things together and was really run as a service provider network. So, so the lab wasn't so much, but there was a process for employees to do personal labs out of things. You know, okay. once once things were were brought down through that process, um, you know, there was a, a staging area in the in the IT hold where after things were brought to a certain level and made sure the you know information and everything he had men- Lindsay had mentioned earlier was taken care of, then uh, things that were getting ready to offboard through the through the various processes could be could be snagged by by employees for employee type lab lab use and was the understanding that this gear would be taken home or was the lab space on prem yeah. yeah for home labs because the on prem lab was a, an integral part of the whole IT process at both of these organizations so i mean it was a close um, I guess the new the newfangled term is digital twins, but uh, <laughs> uh, these were physical um, physical labs, and they were they were run uh, in a way that it was required to have you know a reasonable mirror of the production network for the testing and things that needed to be done. So by the time stuff is retiring in production, it's it's not really of use in that kind of lab because that that lab is you know moved on from that stuff. So yeah. your your lab environment. It wasn't just a sort of a Frankenstein of spare parts to goof around in. It was essentially a, a key component of, of helping keep the production network up. Correct. Correct. Because both of these organizations ran the, well, the one organization were selling a network, it's a service provider. So right. it is the thing. And so you can't, uh, well, you could, but you really don't want to be doing your labbing and testing and in, in production. You want to have a solid lab environment. And, and the, the healthcare organization is so large with hundreds of locations across several states and European locations. So the, the network was really run like a service provider network and the lab was likewise set up in a way to mirror that so that, you know, proper testing could be done for new services and changes to service operations. Yeah, our lab's not intended to be a full mirror, but it's more about I need some representative examples of what I'm running in production mm-hmm. yes. so that, you know, so I can try out, you know, a new version of something, some new feature, some whatever I want to do. There's not really any point in me keeping end of life devices in my lab if I'm not using them in, in my production network anywhere. So time for them to go. Okay. So in some ways, even the lab itself could become a, a source generating e-waste if you're trying to keep it sort of as aligned with the production network as possible. Uh, I am right now, just this week, having discussions with my colleagues about what do we do with our lab gear or the the backbone parts of our lab, because those are reaching end of life. And so, yeah, in the next little while, they're going to be aged out of there. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay, so another option is going with an e-cycler, or this is, you know, a a standalone third-party organization that comes to your location or however is, is takes responsibility for the equipment, takes it off-site and presumably disposes of it properly. Have either of you exercised that option? Yeah, I mean, at the end, of, at the end of the process, if if the thing is totally not worth anything at all, um, and it needs to be e wasted, then you know that is the end of the day. So, 
again, in regulated industries like this, you know, there's a, a process involving regulatory and legal to select those vendors, and then those vendors have their process of how things have to be, you know, prepared for them, palletized and ready for pickup and, and et cetera, um, ultimately out the door. Um, but there's other options before you get to that. That's kind of like at the end of the at the end of the run, if there's absolutely nothing else that can be done with the gear. What it tends to be with us is that it's we you'll deal with a vendor who'll take it away and then they would say, Okay, these items we can we'll resell those, we'll give you some money for that. These other items, they're not worth anything. They're not you know, they can't be sold and they will then go through the e waste process for those. And when you say vendor, you're you're not talking about your network equipment vendor, you're saying no. a, just a third party company. Yeah. A third-party company that is dedicated to doing this sort of business. Mm -hmm. Obviously, for us, we have a, a hardware business as well. We obviously make things like the Steam Deck and controllers in the past. Uh, obviously, the obviously the team generates various prototypes and things for those. That sort of that can't just go on the regular e-waste because you know, imagine people having a field day going through some of those things <laughs> we've tried out to. <laughs> People wanting to get some a look at proprietary gear, you're saying? People would, I'm sure people, most of it, it wouldn't be that exciting, but I'm sure people would have a lot of fun going through it. Now, Steve, you mentioned uh, your organization, the organizations you worked for involved uh, legal uh, in this uh, e-cycling component. Yeah, there's a regulatory process. So, you know, you didn't want to be responsible for improper um, disposal of things or um, confidential, proprietary or otherwise regulated information leaking, uh, leaking out from it. So you have to make sure that the, the ultimate disposal vendor, if you're you know totally discarding things, is, is following all the rules and meets all the regulatory requirements. But before you get to there, too, the other options that have been exercised, as I think you alluded to, every once in a while, the you know the big vendors, you know, we were dealing with people like Nokia, Juniper, and you know the other big gear things. Every once in a while, they have their thing where they'll take some of their old gear back. Right. Uh, did, in, did they actually take it back, Steve? In the past, they've I've had credits for gear, but they don't actually want the gear back. <laughs> um, yeah, that's that's the only one we've. Uh, they have to take it if if they do that kind of thing for for the comp the two companies I'm talking about to mm -hmm. to take advantage of it. If it's if um, yeah, I guess if it's different to credit, they we would still have to go through the other processes. But yeah, we've returned things um, to them. Uh, Juniper definitely has. Um, I think they're their model on that was they were trying to avoid us doing the other thing we do, which is, you know, we buy things on the secondary market sometimes too, to mm -hmm. fill in. So that same secondary market vendor we buy things from, we'll sell to, you know, if you're right. like, well, we can't use this, this model and, and bunch anymore because of the feature set on it. They don't have any 10 gig interfaces. It's all one gig. So we can't really use it. So we sell those back and, buy other um, secondary market used gear from from them that we that we get for the, for certain things. So those those processes work through too for things that are are reuse. So I, I did have uh, the secondary market as an option on here and I, maybe this is the time to get into the den because it is such a, 
let's say, a, a fraught uh, issue. Um, considering the fact that you had to get, you know, uh, legal and regulatory folks involved to work with an e-cycler, did that also apply to working with the secondary market if you're going to ship gear to them or buy gear from them? Oh, yeah. I mean, we uh, these again, healthcare and and utilities. I mean, you, you can't buy a candy bar without legal approval, you know, <laughs> such a different world to mine, Steve. <laughs> yes. The highly unregulated gaming industry versus yes, healthcare. Go ahead, Steve. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, so so they're involved in all that to make sure that the, the the companies are you know doing what needs to be done and and nothing and doing nothing that's that's gonna come back and bite us or um, at least that the contracts are written such that um, that we're fully protected at the minimum. You know. Okay. I ask because you know I've I've written about the secondary market and I know. The, you know, the vendors really don't like it. And you mentioned Juniper setting up its own e-waste program to keep gear off the secondary market. And it is, you know, technically in some ways legal, but the vendors will also try to position it as black market or gray market and so on. So there, I, I think I did see Cisco, Cisco soften their stance on this a little bit in the last couple of years. I really? think that. Oh. I think I saw that they were making it so you could go and buy support for things you'd purchased on the gray market. So I think they're, they're just rec basically just because they couldn't supply you new gear, I guess, right? <laughs> I guess over the last couple of years, maybe they did have to soften their yeah, stance. Yeah, I, I think they've just, they, but yeah, you're right. They hate it. Have you ever gone down that road, Lindsay? We've never purchased on the secondary market. We've, we sell we sell things on that market, like through, our, through the disposal firms that we use. They either dispose the gear or they sell it if there's value in it. So we, we sell, but we don't. We, we don't buy on that market because typically if I'm getting new gear, it's because I need 100 gig, 400 gig, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's not on the secondary market. So, you know, I, I need the, the latest and greatest and the fastest. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and it's the opposite. When, you, when you're running a service provider network or a very, very large service provider-ish network in, in healthcare, you've got hundreds and hundreds of locations and expanding. So... Uh, you know, you have everything from the latest and greatest in the in the core and the high end customers to the the, the smallest and <laughs> tiniest <laughs> uh, on the edges with the tiny customers. So, a lot of times the secondary market you know can significantly help you in you know basically not buying support for you know for middle or low end gear and and just doing straight up replacements or okay. just running through things if you know for for business reasons more than more than technical ones have either of you ever been scolded by your you know primary vendors for going onto the secondary market if they find out that you are running that gear or at least had interesting conversations no no hassles for us that uh, that there's not much they could do about what we do with our old gear anyway. Yeah. They, they mention it and they tell you if you're buying gear and using gear on that market, uh, you know, most of the time it, it doesn't qualify for formal support. But but you're you're generally buying it in those areas that you're going to use it as straight up replace, you know, rip and replace anyway, if it mm -hmm. fails. So. So it's not an issue to not be able to buy support. And it's, it's not like you're trying to cheat your way out of it by, uh, you know, people, they'll buy one, one device officially and have that under support and log all of their software 
tickets against that <laughs> one single device, even though they've got you know, a thousand of them out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not like that. Let's pause the conversation for a message from sponsor Pessler. If you're a regular podcast listener, you've heard countless mattress ads. Now, Packet Pushers is not the kind of podcast where you'd hear a mattress ad, but maybe this is the closest we'll get. Now, the thing is, the only time you really think about your mattress is when it causes you aches and pains. That's why your choice of mattress is one of the most important decisions you can make. It's the same thing with monitoring. Your monitoring solution shouldn't cause you any aches, and you shouldn't need to think about it. It's one of your most important decisions as an IT professional. Pessler PRTG monitoring software has been on the market for over 20 years and has over 500,000 users worldwide. Pessler PRTG hosted monitor is their cloud-based solution, which means Pessler takes care of updates, backups, and maintenance, and you just focus on monitoring. It's vendor agnostic with support for SNMP, WMI, flow protocols, and much more. Setup and configuration is quick. You can be monitoring within minutes without even installing any hardware. You get real-time dashboards and customizable notifications, and pricing is flexible. You have the choice of monthly or annual subscriptions based on the number of devices you need to monitor, so you can scale as needed. And Pessler is giving new customers 50% off their monthly subscription for the first three months. Go to prtg.com, that's prtg.com, and use the promo code PACKETPUSHERS, all one word, to take advantage of this offer. And make sure you always sleep soundly on a comfy mattress with a comprehensive monitoring tool. This offer ends October 2023. Now back to the podcast. Uh, So Steve, you mentioned uh, as an option, um, in some cases after the gear had gone through all the requisite processes, the IT folks could take it home. Uh, so is giving it away an option for either of you, whether to, you know, somebody in the IT department or to, you know, a charity or a third party or just, Hey, Hey dude, I got the switch. I don't need any more. Do you want it? We, we absolutely give stuff away. Uh, basically if I'm getting a pile of say, I had a bunch of old EX 4200s and QFX 5100s, had a big stack of them building up. And so I just put it out there on Twitter. I said, right, anyone who can come and pick it up, you can take it because um, if it's if there's no book value uh, and there's very low to no resale value I'd love it to go to someone maybe it's either for their home lab the home use or there's some internet exchanges that we've helped out with some gear like mm-hmm. I'd love seeing it going to that I don't want to give it away to someone who's going to then turn around and put it on resell eBay. it you know right. yeah 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 <laughs> Um, but, you know, and, and that's been great. I've had some good conversations with people as well that, from all random places that have come in, come, come in, you know, taken a couple of QFXs or whatever away. And honestly, that it's, if I can make that work, it's a great easy option. For us, though, that works where I've got stuff piled up, say, at my main office. It's a little bit harder for when we've got stuff distributed all around the world. Uh, you know, like I've got, say, if I'm pulling gear out of, um, Poland and someone wants it in Virginia and it's like ah it's just not worth the hassle of shipping that yeah yeah my, my only experience in that area is the you know passing on to employees um, which which would happen for the stuff that you know didn't have a resale value or, uh, and is of interest to, to someone there but uh, we haven't you know to my knowledge, um, it w- may have been done at higher levels or at management or something looking for donation opportunities, or, or maybe that's part of what they're looking for in these e-waste vendors too that I'm unaware of. Okay. We, ha- we have done the donations like outside of our network gear, but um, so I, I mostly deal with disposal of network and server gear, but we also we have uh, old PCs and things like that. 
we have donated some of those in the past as well. Uh, it can, there's certain, certain things can actually get a bit funny sometimes with donating gear, just in terms of make, uh, from a financial point of view. Depends on the age and what you're doing, but you just, sometimes you need to pay attention. How do you mean? If the gear is not too old, uh, and then let's say I say to home employees, look, you can take this PC home and use that, and it's got a reasonably modern GPU in it, and that, that's a form like a fringe benefit or a form of income for that employee. Mm-hmm. You, just, you need to just pay attention to that and make sure that you're doing things right. Uh, it's, if it's old enough gear, the book value is nothing, and it's, you know, its effective value is nothing, so it doesn't matter. Uh, it's just just one to watch out for. Okay, so you don't want uh, the IT organization to get involved in some kind of like uh, a tax or finance issue because you're giving equipment uh, away. You you want to make sure that you are not causing yourself any problems related to that. <laughs> not yeah. causing yourself problems is the whole game. Yeah, I mean, you know how it is. Like it's it's really funny, but sometimes you we do these things we get rid of stuff like we or we don't do things because oh it's too much paperwork mm-hmm. so i'll leave it sit there in the corner for another couple of years <laughs> and then it's worth nothing and then you can have it but i don't <laughs> want to now so, ah. but uh you know it's all these trade-offs you got to wait keep in mind yeah uh is there an appetite in organizations that you're working for or have worked for to repair equipment uh you know if it's something simple like or relatively simple like swapping out fans or a power module or something or is it just the organization is more like going to just get a new one we, we don't okay. want to bother for for the field replaceable stuff fans and power supplies absolutely you know you swap that that's that's completely normal we do that all the time if you're talking about okay i'm going to need to unscrew this thing and re-solder these things and that it it's probably not worth your time mm-hmm. Um, I'm not. I'm not saying we've never done anything like that, but you know, there's always been situations where maybe I can't get that part anymore. But it's generally not worth your time to do that. Like, but what you might do is you might have a pile of spares on the shelf, and you say, okay, you know, I've got these spare complete units, and then I've had a they're out of support, but I've had a failed power supply on one in production, so yank the power supply from the one on the shelf, ship that out, slap it in, away we go. I'm curious if, you know, we've had supply chain constraints for the last few years, if that has uh, bolstered the interest in, in repair and, and holding on to supplies and spares. Possibly. One of the good things that some vendors do as well is that they, things like, say, power supplies in Juniper QFX 5000 series, they, they're not all directly, and you can't directly swap them all across all of the line, but there's a lot of overlap there. So as soon as you find, you know, hey, I've got the, the new one that's, and that's, that's got the same power supply model as one of the older ones. Mm, okay. So you can reuse gear around there if you need to. And so, I mean, I, I appreciate it when the vendors do that, you know, rather than, hey, you know, let's, you know, just change this little flap on here or something like that. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, you know, so they, they've um, just, just a bunch of delivery of some new gear recently. I was looking at it and it's like, ah, oh, hang on, that's exactly the same power supply as on the model that it replaces. That's great because I got a stack of spares on my shelf. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd say re- repairing is is something that you know every company that I've worked for has has wanted to do where it's reasonable and, and easy. But you know, a lot of the one rack unit type stuff is not designed to be mm. repaired, um, as as Lindsay mentioned. Yeah. So so it can be harder. 
But then the other area you get into with repairs is, you know, every company that I've worked for as well has this legacy gear. I mean, uh, you know, hello to the the sun servers uh, in the corner and, you know, mm-hmm. eBay is eBay is your friend and, you know, the soldering <laughs> iron is hot, you know. Everyone has a secret shame corner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And are there concerns with repair that you might uh, um, ruin a warranty by uh, unscrewing a box and getting inside? If, if you're unscrewing the back and repairing it, you don't care about warranties and support anymore. If you had warranties <laughs> and support, you'd be you using be. that. <laughs> yeah, point. yeah, that's the stuff that's out of warranty. And, you know, obviously sun gear is not in warranty for a very long time. So. <laughs> no worries there. Free and clear. It sounds like both of you then have worked with uh, a third party to dispose of equipment. How did you select that organization? It's kind of embarrassing almost to admit, but one of the, my favorite vendors, a colleague found it in a Google search. Okay. <laughs> so a lot of due I mean, diligence that, that, that there. Wasn't, that wasn't all of the selection. Don't get me wrong, but, you know, just in terms of the initial, hey, who can do this for me in this region? And obviously, you know, once you come across them, then there is a, there's a bit of back and forth around, you know, talk to them about what we're doing, check out that they are actually legit people that do what we want to do. Uh, some, for us, we're not as constrained as Steve is um, in terms of, uh, the requirements around contracts and legal things, but we do still absolutely have services agreements with, in place with those companies. So there's a bit of work to do around making sure you got that in place. So what kind of questions did you have for them? You talk through, uh, so for us, uh, things that are, um, are important are things like, if I've got hard drives and devices, can they wipe those devices? What what will they show us to say, hey, yes, we have done that? Mm-hmm. Can they destroy them as well? Because, uh, you know, sometimes you say, hey, it's a, depending on the device and what information it has held, it might be sufficient to just say, all right, you can just do a seven-pass wipe, whatever the latest standard is in that. Mm-hmm. Or you might say, no, for these specific systems, I need those hard drives shredded. Uh, and they then will, when, when they do that, they'll provide you some documentation to say we had these devices, we did this, they have some software they use for wiping it, and then it has a, produces a report. Now, I mean, obviously, you know, anyone can create a report, but, you know, at, at some point you've got to trust people. Right, right. Steve, how about you? Well, I haven't really been involved in the actual selection. I just really catch them when they come out the other end of the the the, <laughs> the pile and uh, and deal with things. So I'm I'm not sure all of the diligence that went in there, but I'm you know based on the you know what I've been told, I understand there's a reasonable amount of diligence that went in. Um, you know, on both of the companies that I'm talking about here, you know, DQE and UPMC, the, you know, the, the wiping and things was done internally and, you know, personally by our, mm-hmm. our people to, to make sure it was done to the, the standard that was looking for in, um, you know, in, in making sure the information doesn't leak. Okay. And Lindsay, it sounds like you were comfortable with having them do the wiping and the destruction for you. Yeah, it depends on the specific devices. Uh, for some parts of the network, obviously, you've got, say, credit card information, things like that. Mm-hmm. There are higher standards that apply for those, and typically we would take care of the destruction of those devices ourselves. Uh, for some of our other systems, 
it's of the what I think of as semi-confidential information. It's, you know, I do want it wiped. It's not catastrophic if some of that did did get exposed somewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so for those ones, and it's also, for these ones also distributed all around the world, it's not practical for us always to be able to go and do that wiping of all of those. So you have to work with your third parties on that. Okay, so putting you on a plane to Poland to wipe drives is probably not the best use of your time, you're saying? I was in Poland just a couple of months ago, but uh, <laughs> that was more about uh, putting in a whole bunch of new network gear. Okay. Not so much of the drive wiping, thankfully. So when you're working with a third party, what is the uh, process like? Do you have to you know, de-rack and box up gear? Do they do it for you? Do you even want them to come on site and be poking around in your racks? How does, how does that process work? So for us, for our main office, stuff piles up in a corner. Eventually the pile gets a bit big. And this is what Steve was talking about doing, say quarterly or twice a year or whatever type things. For there, they'll just, we put it on a pallet, put a bit of strapping around it, and they'll, they will pick it up and take it away from there. Mm-hmm. So we don't have to find boxes or whatever. Um, it looks kind of funny when you just see, you know, a couple of MX-480s just sitting on a pallet with a little bit of strapping around it. But... <laughs> It's cool. The guys come along, they take it away. The truck turns up, away it goes. For remote sites, so we were in Equinix Interaction, whatever facilities all around the world, uh, when we're clearing equipment out of those, the companies that we work with, they can go in and fully remove everything from the cabinets. Mm -hmm. Uh, Depending on where it is in the world, they don't always have their own people or they might get a local resource to go and do that. If I'm, say, emptying out six cabinets with and everything in those cabinets is going i don't really care who goes and does it because you you can't make a mistake really right okay yep when i've but when i'm say hey i want you to pull this mx960 out of this cabinet which has got another 30 cross connects coming in from other places <laughs> i get a bit nervous about some of that mm-hmm. so what i tend to do in those situations is i'll i'll use equinix or interaction or someone like that and get them to remove the device, those systems from the racks. So you just, you know, you you do want to think a little bit about what's your risk profile here. If someone's yanking that out and they drop that and it shears off the front of those 20 cross connects going into 100 and 400 gig things, is how much pain is that going to cause me? <laughs> Significant, uh, I would say. Significant. <laughs> so, so for those ones, yeah, I'd typically I use Equinix or Interaction to to make it make it safe for removal. Uh, and again, all they're looking at doing though is it's mostly it just gets put on a put on a pallet, um, gets wrapped up, um, and a bit of strapping on it, and that's that's good enough. How much you know, sort of paperwork or spreadsheeting is involved with this? And if you're doing this kind of, you know, you're decommissioning old inventory, are you tracking serial numbers, getting down to individual components in a device that you have to keep track of? How does how does that work? It depends on the your relationship with your third party. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for us, we have a couple of different ones we work with. One of them, uh, they will take things away and then sell them on behalf for us. Uh, so they, and typically what I'll do is I'll give them a list of, say, Dell service tags or model numbers or in the case of a Juniper device, so, you know, I've got this MX480 with these line cards, whatever it is, so that they know approximately what, what's going to be there. They will then also check that when they, when they actually take out the gear, they'll check through that list just to make sure that, you know, we've got all the bits and pieces that 
I had the right information there. Um, sometimes when you're clearing out a site, you find some old stuff you thought you'd forgotten about, that old MX80 that was unplugged five years ago, whatever it was. Um, for one of our other ones, they, they buy it up front off us. So I need to give them a fairly accurate list of the information that I have. So service tags, serial numbers, whatever it is. Uh, and they then use that information to create a quote. Then based on that, I say, yep, that's okay. Then they take it all away. Mm-hmm. How about things like cables and other ancillary items? Do they take that as well? They will if I ask them to. So it's generally that sort of equipment is just, that's just being disposed as part of a, a broader clean out of the area. Um, you know, there's no there's no resale value in old patch cables. Mm-hmm. And that's that's just trash. But if, if they're in there clearing out uh, six cabinets for me, then part of that is I, I expect them to dispose of all of the cabling as well as part of that work. Okay. Uh, they will, oh, just one other thing. Um, you can, if I leave optics and devices, uh, there is some resale value on some optics as well. Uh, obviously not, not a lot on the one 10 gig stuff, but mm-hmm. so 40 gig and 100 gig stuff, there is, there is some resale value on those. Okay. So for the so for the companies that that I've worked for, there we did all the shipping out of the central locations, and and all of the decommissioning is done by internal employees at at whatever the site, and things brought back to the central location. The palletizing and thing is exactly as Lindsay described, you know. But um, the, the serial number tracking uh, is, is done all the way along the line. Um, I mean, the serial numbers are identified before the stuff is removed. They're clearly communicated with finance at both locations because um, there are book values and things with accounting uh, that have right. to be taken care of with this, mm-hmm. you know, on, on a large network. You know, you have to identify when when assets are no longer in use and have been um, fully removed so that you make sure that the depreciation cycles are indeed complete or if they're not complete, they're they're properly accounted for for during the during the removal process. Yeah, that that's a good point. I have to do some follow up work with my finance teams as well. Just say, hey, these these assets have been disposed of in this way. Uh, gen- generally, for us, if it's more than five years old, it's zero book value. So it's all that's all quite straightforward. It's a bit more interesting if I if I'm disposing of a three year old system, maybe that has some book value, and then they need to know about it. Now, the, the cabling side, you know, copper cabling, uh, we have a process to, you know, get that over to the recycler because that can be recycled um, through the through the local vendors. The Most of the fiber stuff just, you know, gets tested and reused um, in the in the process. Yeah, I think it's interesting because it hadn't occurred to me that it seemed like, you know, your disposal was essentially an IT function, but it sounds like certainly, Steve, in your case, you have to bring in legal, and then both of you are also bringing in finance as well for some of this. Well, these these are assets. I mean, they're they're booking them for you know five, seven, ten, or whatever years, you know, and they they have to be properly tracked. And uh, you know, you've got things brighter right. network. You got thousands and thousands yeah. of devices out there, so it's a big part of our job. Is keeping track of the serial numbers and making sure your monitoring systems are sucking that data in so yeah. you know where everything is. <laughs> yeah, some of those things like, you know, some of those line cards on the high-end routers, those those are expensive. You know, those are significant assets. So, yeah, they've got to be tracked as such. And when you're working with a, a third party, 
are there different options or costs for, you know, just chuck this in the landfill or we'd like you to take a more responsible approach to recycling this and, and you're trying to be as responsible as possible and find ways to reuse or at least minimize the environmental impact of, of the disposal? Well, for the ones that we use, we they will resell stuff if there is any, if there is a market for it, they will resell it. Uh, and then otherwise it goes through an e-waste process. Uh, we don't we don't want stuff just going straight into landfill if there is any other option for dealing with it. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't, I haven't looked at specifically whether there is a cost associated with that, but generally it's a, you know, if, if there's some recoverable value from it, then they're going to try and get that value out of it. Now it might be for the stuff that which is e-waste, there is some value to the person that does that final disposal of it, but there's no there's such a small amount that nothing flows back to me, but that's sure. okay as long as it, as long as that's okay as long as it gets, you know, someone gets the gold off the motherboard or whatever it is. Right, 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 right. right. Yeah, one one unit isn't going to make a difference, but if you're getting thousands and thousands, you could use that the, some of those valuable metals in these systems to recoup your investment a little bit. Yeah, and, and my assumption is in this whole e-waste process. I mean, the reason it doesn't go in the dumpster is that it's not it's not good to put it in the landfill just as it is. So yes. the, um, and I'm sure that the, you know, the, the people doing the, the vetting of the companies and the companies that are set up to handle the e-waste are doing their, their proper job and, and making sure that the, the mercury and all the dangerous stuff is, is taken out of there and, and appropriately disposed of. For us, even at, at the office here, uh, we have, you know, big skips around the place for, some for recycling, some for general trash, and then we have specific ones for e-waste. So that and they, those get picked up by a, a different vendor to just you know the regular trash. So the people have got you know they've got old random old keyboards or you know bits and minor small electronics things like that. Mm-hmm. All of those go in the e-waste bins rather than the regular trash bins. Like, it works for our volume, at once. Presumably, those bins are then going somewhere to be responsibly recycled, as opposed to it's it's just yeah, a, yeah. It's just a different it's, label on the landfill bin. Well, well you hope so. <laughs> it's a different it's a different company comes and picks it up. You hope that it goes to the right place, but um, you know, we could go on a long digression about what city, a lot of cities are doing with their recycling things at the moment. But best no best we don't go down those paths. Yes, not for this episode. Um, so we talked about third party and we touched a little bit on, you know, some of the bigger vendors, Cisco and Juniper among them having programs to take decommissioned equipment, but it sounds like that's not necessarily an option that you guys have used. Well, we, we have used it in the, um, in the past. Yeah. Uh, it just doesn't apply very often for us because of yeah. the different kinds of equipment or because of the vibe, what, what, what makes it not apply? Uh, just, just the, the programs they have weren't necessarily applicable to the kind of gear that we're ready to retire, okay. um, and use. I mean, typically, you know, you know, with, um, Nokia and Juniper were the two vendors there. I mean, they, they would want stuff back before we're ready to retire it. You know, mm-hmm. those programs were generally designed to, to get you to upgrade in place your relatively current gear. And, you know, quite frankly, in a service provider network, you know, we're milking the hell out of this stuff. So <laughs> <laughs> we're not ready to turn it back at that point. For, for, for us, <laughs> for us, because we're distributed around the world it it wouldn't always be practical anyway. You know, if I've got a site where I've upgraded everything and I've got some some Juniper gear, I've got 
some Cisco UCS, I've got some other Dell servers. It's a lot easier for me to be able to just say to one company, all right, you come in and take everything away from that site in one go, rather than me trying to deal with the logistics around, okay, Juniper's going to get this bit, Dell's going to get that bit, mm -hmm. Cisco's going to get that bit. It, it, it would add, it would have to be, it would have to be worth quite a lot to overcome the, the pain of dealing with all the logistics around it. So better just have one come and do it instead of I've got to set up a call with Cisco and then Juniper and then Dell, et cetera, et cetera, yeah. et, cetera et cetera. For us, certainly. Uh, Steve mentioned having more centralized uh, systems for you know stuff coming into a central location and then going out from there. And that in that situation, you know, maybe it would make sense. But for for us, I don't really want to ship some. I'm pretty sure the environmental impact of me shipping something from Johannesburg back to the Seattle area would would vastly outweigh anything I might get from later then properly disposing of it, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, we, we touched on making sure sensitive information isn't on the dice, but I guess I'd like to just clarify that a little bit more. What what kind of steps are you taking to make sure that you're not sending gear out that uh, might have data on it that you wouldn't want anyone to get access to? But the stuff we really care about, we'll shred those drives. Mm -hmm. Shred them in-house or take them to a, yeah, a service? Some in-house and some we have uh, specialist hard drive disposal things. Mm -hmm. I have, I have been known to use the odd drill press in my time. <laughs> well, DIY. <laughs> Pretty sure I could find a serious degaussing unit around here somewhere as well. <laughs> and then I presume you also need to have some kind of certification to, to attest that, yes, this was destroyed for legal purposes that, that you can keep in a file somewhere that no one will ever see. When, when the third parties do things like the drive wipes and stuff for us, they provide us some certificates that say, you know, we processed this number of drives, these things, and we wiped them to this standard. Uh, if, if someone ever wanted to know. But that's more, mostly for us, apart from very specific things, mostly it's just general hygiene, you want to do it properly. Mm -hmm. uh, we're, we're not constrained in the same way that Steve is mentioning. He's has been a bit more constrained. Yeah, so then with the, you know, there's two two different things here. I mean, obviously the server stuff with regular hard drives or SSDs or, you know, one thing and then and the network gear is another. So we do have to make sure that the network gear was properly wiped and not just reset. Um, there's a whole since we deal with a lot of network gear, there's a whole process that's involved in that um, that's well documented and semi-automated. So the the staff takes care of it, you know, just as a routine part of, of doing business. You know, with the with the servers, um, again, there there's a there's a white process that can be gone through that's simple enough to automate and run manually you know, yourself uh, for most things, but, uh, you know, at the healthcare organization, there were times when, you know, depending on the nature of the, um, the servers and things being retired, there would be, you know, special vendors brought in to, to ensure that the, the data related to those things was, was irrevocably destroyed. Right, because you're dealing with people's medical records, so you need to be extra careful. So I guess to wrap up then, we talked about a lot of different options for disposal. Are there different approaches you'd like to see uh, from vendors to, to make this even easier? Maybe like a, a right to repair issue, uh, other things that you think could be done differently or better? 
I'm not too worried about the right to repair type stuff. I would probably like to see vendors be a bit better about if I buy something on the grey market, I'd like to see better support options available for that. Because I think that that's, like, like I said, Cisco, I believe, has changed just a little bit in the last couple of years. I'd like more vendors to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, right to repair, I think, um, you know, more applies to the consumer side of the, the world than the, sure. than the industrial. I mean, the industrial, you know, us enterprises have been pretty good at repairing things that we think are worth repairing and, and, um, and getting there. And, and a lot of times the just the way things have compacted down to, you know, single primary boards and in a lot of the smaller gear, it, it just really becomes impractical to to do repairs. It's not a matter of the right to do it. It's, you know, the ability at all, (laughs) Uh um, to do it. But, um, you know, I think various vendors have different approaches with the secondary market. Um, you know, with the, um, with the Nokia and Juniper stuff, there's, there's an easy way to check if it's something you do want to buy on the secondary market and you do want to get support on it. They have an easy way to do serial number checking to see if it's eligible to be, you know, re-enrolled in, in support. But mm-hmm. I'd say most of the time, you know, when, when we're buying something on the secondary market, it's because we don't need support, you know, on, uh, on the device. It's in a less critical area where, where the support is, we have spares on the shelf, you know, and uh, when it fails, we're going to replace it. Um, but it would be nicer if, if vendors were better about the secondary market and more integrated in the secondary market because, you know, that, there's nothing wrong with a lot of that gear that's out there. And, uh, and I, I, I would love to see small, medium businesses be able to buy what used to be the, you know, the brand new gear three years ago that's perfectly good for their small DC or, or server room and, uh, and, and be able to get full support on it because, because of the nature of their things. Um, which also yeah. would go a long way toward, you know, keeping more equipment out of the landfill longer. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and I think, I think Nokia and Juniper have done a good job in, in walking that line because what you don't want to have happen is, you know, bad stuff. Um, be forced um, into their repair system. You know, things that, um, you know, the bad actors who take something that's obviously broken was supposed to have been e-wasted and has now been resold to somebody else who's then going right. to um, register it and get another free one as a result. You know, the, you know, we don't want that kind of stuff to be happening either. So there, there is a fine line to be walked there. <laughs> I think there's some balance as well with how much old gear you want to keep running and how long you want to keep it running. So, I can, you know, if you think about like a, a Cisco 2960 switch or something that just won't die, you know, that's fine. <laughs> uh, you know, it's like keep it going forever. If all I need is a one gig switch, it's fantastic, right? It just mm-hmm. keeps on going. Mm-hmm. But for something like, say, if I think about some of the higher end servers and routers that we use, the new gear is just so much more power efficient that you kind of don't want the old gear to keep running too long. Sure. I mean, you actually kind of want people to say, well, what's my total environmental impact here? And the network team goes, oh, well, we're just, we just see the price of the router. And the facilities team's going, oh, man, I've got to have all this extra power and cooling because you've got this great big 
Ricade MLXE or something where it gives you 30, 100 gig ports in a whole cabinet. So, well, I'd probably better for the, all of us, actually, if you turned that thing off and just put in a modern 1RU box. Yeah, that's a great point that we need to balance out, you know, sweating assets and trying to extend their life as long as possible with advances in power efficiency, particularly in cooling, that could actually have a significant impact on the environmental footprint you're generating. Like, I mean, I'm sure, like, it's, you know, it's not always as simple as, oh, I save, just save power. There's, you know, hey, if I keep running the old thing longer, there's a benefit to that. It's, it's a complicated equation, but, yeah. you know. Something to consider. All right. Well, this brings us to the end of the conversation. Uh, thank you, Lindsay and Steve, for, for sharing your insights and, and processes and thoughts. I think this was really fascinating. Uh, if folks uh, want to reach out to you online, are you on the socials? Do you have a blog or anything that you'd like to promote? Uh, Lindsay? So I've recently been writing a few more Juniper posts, actually. LKHill.com is my blog. Uh, you can, as long as Twitter's still operational, you can find me there at Northland Boy. Great. And Steve? I'm on uh, both Twitter and um, LinkedIn. Uh, I use first initial last name for the for the short link on both of those. S P U L U K A. My blogging's at my personal website uh, paluka.com/home. And uh, you know, reach out if you have any questions. Awesome. Well, we'll have all those links in the show notes. Uh, thank you so much for joining me and, and uh, giving us the benefit of your time and experience. And thanks to you for listening. Uh, you can responsibly recycle this episode by sharing it with a friend or colleague. You can also find this in many more fine, free technical podcasts and our community blog. It's all at packetpushers.net. You can also follow us on Twitter at packetpushers. Find us on LinkedIn, hear us on Spotify, and rate us on Apple Podcasts. Last but not least, remember that too much networking would never be enough. <laughs>